0: This is the podcast where Tammy equips and empowers amazing fundraising pros like you to transform your fundraising so you can transform the world. And now, let's hear from Tammy. Today, I'm excited to talk with Brooke Richie Babbage, a woman deeply dedicated to mission-driven work. She has spent the last 23 years working as a nonprofit leader and social entrepreneur, She's the host of the Nonprofit Mastermind podcast, founder of the Next Level Nonprofit Accelerator, and founder and CEO of Bending Arc, a social impact strategy and digital content firm that partners with nonprofit leaders and philanthropic institutions to launch and scale high impact nonprofits. As a part of this work, Brooke also serves as the director of the Social Justice Accelerator at the Urban Justice Center and the NetLab Initiative at the Robert Sterling Clark Foundation. She's an active member and officer of multiple nonprofit boards and and philanthropic and government advisory councils. Brooke received both her law degree and Master's of Public Policy from Harvard and her BA from Yale. Like, what sweatshirt do you wear, right? (laughs) So good. (laughs) Brooke lives in Brooklyn with her husband and her two sons. Brooke, welcome to the show.
1: I'm really, really thrilled to be here. Thanks, Tammy.
0: Oh my gosh. The thrill is ours, trust me. (laughs) So let's just jump in. Yeah. I have heard you say we all have a purpose and that yours is to make the world a more just and equitable place and that you do that by using your love of strategy and systems to help founders and leaders of small nonprofits cut through the chaos and really get to the heart of their work. How do you help nonprofit leaders cut through the chaos? I mean, please tell us. <laughs> there us is the so chaos. much.
1: There is a lot of chaos. And I, I use that word intentionally because when I was a nonprofit founder and leader, there were days when you would just sort of get to the end of the day and think, what did I do today? What did I accomplish? What, what actually, ha- who did I meet with? Um, and it can feel chaotic. And it can be really hard to do two important things in leadership when you feel like you are sitting in chaos. It can be hard to move forward with intentionality because everything feels like it has equal weight. It's sort of coming at you. And so chaos can make deliberation and deliberate action difficult. And I think perhaps more importantly, when you feel like you're um, just awash in chaos, it can be really hard to recognize the important ways that you really are succeeding, right, what you have accomplished, the steps you have taken. And that's really important to be able to do. Pat yourself on the back sometimes when you're growing particularly a small nonprofit. So when I work with leaders and most of the leaders that I work with in this way are through my nonprofit, Next Level Nonprofit program, which is a coaching and training program, I always start with the vision. I try to help them recenter on where do you want this organization to be? three years from now. And I don't mean their strategic plan, although a lot of times I wind up helping with that. I really mean, close your eyes, pretend you have the money and the staff you need. Tell me what the organization is doing, how it's moving through the world, how you feel every day, how mm-hmm. you're spending your time. And I'm a very firm believer in visualization um, as, a, as a tool for helping us move forward. And so I use that with, with my folks. Start with the vision, that's your North Star. And then we reverse engineer from there, right? We understand that, of course, there is a gap. Of course, there will be a process. But if that's your vision, what is the plan? What are the tools or the resources that you will need to get there?
0: Wow. L- let me ask this. I find that fascinating. When you first approach someone that you're working with, a client, and you say, visualize Mm -hmm. what that looks like five years, seven years, 10 years, you've got the money and the staff. I suspect because we are so uh, entrenched in the culture of scarcity and chaos and not enoughness, that it has to be challenging for them to even get to that place where they can visualize
1: Absolutely. I just had this thought yesterday. I was having a conversation with a leader that I've just started working with. And I think I had to ask the question sort of four times in four different ways, (laughs) because we kept coming back to, of course, understandably, as you said, we kept coming back to, well, you know, we really need these staff people, or we don't have the space we need. And I said, I'm writing that down. I got, we won't lose that. I I understand where we are. And pretend you did have those things. So I just... Try to sort of bring them back um, to that vision, and I think sometimes—and I remember being in this space—sometimes it can be a little scary or overwhelming in and of itself to vision because you can't see how you're going to get there. And so this idea of having this big, lofty vision of more space or a bigger staff or a different board or programs that are in you know more communities, sort of why why sit with that if it's going to be impossible to get there. Right. That I think is the narrative otherwise. we have. It. Exactly. And it hurts. It hurts. It feels bad. You know?
0: Yeah. Oh, so good. I mean, really, really good. And <laughs> I can only imagine that if, there could be times when a few tears are shed in that exercise.
1: I would say there are definitely some tears shed inside my, my, my coaching program. And, you know, one of the things that's really exciting about how I do my coaching is it's group coaching. Most yes. of it is group coaching. And That feeling of being in a space with other leaders who have the same fears, feel that same sense of chaos, have the same breakthroughs that they might not recognize, but for the fact that other people are like, wait a minute, pause. That's actually really cool what you just said, or that actually worked, or that meeting went well. That community aspect has both brought out the tears and been a really safe space for leaders to say... Today was a chaos day. And also, today wasn't. Today was today was a good day. You know, we have we we need space to say that too. <laughs> yeah. Juicy.
0: All right. Um, so Brooke, as a strategy and a systems person, what do you see as the core elements of a robust fundraising engine?
1: I'm really glad you used that word. I talk all the time with my leaders about the importance of shifting as they lead a growing organization that mindset shift from trying sort of everything that might seem like it might work to bring in money, right? Very organic and responsive, some campaigns, some, uh, you know, outreach to something that is systematized and intentional. And so that the word engine, right, it fuels itself. It works systematically. I think it's really powerful And to begin to think about fundraising inside your organization as an engine is a really powerful shift that organizations that are growing, small organizations can make. And I think there are a few core elements. I talk about a fundraising engine like a funnel, right? Wider at the top, narrower at the bottom. The bottom being the invitation, the ask, the sort of ask for the investment in the mission, in the work. The top of the funnel is being in front of your people, right? going to be wider. There are going to be more of them. But that's the first core element of this fundraising engine or funnel is making sure that the top of your funnel, the beginning of your fundraising process, you are in front of the right people. And people's eyes glaze over when we use the words, you know, donor avatar, donor profile, donor archetype. Everyone wants to skip through the process of defining those communities or audiences that they're speaking to. But it's absolutely critical, absolutely critical for an effective fundraising engine. You have to talk to the people who raise their hands easily and naturally and say, the work you're doing, the mission you're working towards is exciting to me. There are are those people in the world and those are your people. And so you start, the sort of first core element is making sure you're talking to those people and not to the other people, right? Not to the people who are not, don't have a natural affinity. The second core element is you have to have systems inside your organization for building intimate relationships with your funders. And we, the, you know, the catch word is cultivation. But all that means is taking these people who at the top of your funnel say, yeah, I'm, what you're doing, the kind of change you're bringing about in the world is actually really interesting to me. Tell me more. And building intimacy with them, a sense of connection where they know about what you're doing. They understand how you move through the world. They understand your programs. They see their own vision for change in your work, right? That's what affinity is. And they trust that you can do what you say you're going to do, right? Know, understand, like, and trust. Those are the four core elements of an intimate relationship with a donor, And then the last core element of a robust fundraising engine is the ask, is asking the right people for the right amount at the right time. And there are a lot of leaders that get nervous about multiple asks throughout the year. But a robust fundraising engine really means putting the right invitation in front of the right audience, right, these people that have an affinity for some part of your mission, at the right time. And so you're doing different asks at different times throughout the year and scheduling those out and being strategic and thoughtful about who you're bringing into your funnel, how you're building intimacy with them, and when you're going to ask them throughout the year. That's when you really have that fundraising engine.
0: Love it. So Brooke, the first element that you described talked about the right people. And I just like to dig a little further into that because I feel like Often when I'm working with clients and they're talking about the right people, who they're really referring to are people with money, wealthy people, philanthropic people. And to your point, if they're not our people, like they're not our people, if they're not aligned with our vision and our mission and our values. Tell us, tell us more about, from your perspective, unpack that a bit for us, if you would.
1: Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times. I've had conversations with people who are like, if we could just get to Oprah, right? If we could just, if McKenzie Scott (laughs) just knew about our work. Um, So I'm really glad you mentioned that. I think what I will say about that is really just going back to this concept of affinity, right? That fundraising can be easy or fundraising can be hard. And hard fundraising is when you... Sort of treat your messaging and your outreach like a billboard, right? You feel like if I can just say the right thing and put the right message in front of somebody that has a lot of money, then, you know, money will come in. That's actually hard because it doesn't work, right? That's not how people give. People give philanthropically because they are investing in some vision of a future world that they are really passionate about. So fundraising is easy. When, or I should say frictionless, it doesn't, it's not easy, but it's frictionless. It's yes. It flows when the asks that you do, when the invitations to invest, when the relationships you're trying to build start with people who are already passionate about the work you're doing. And really, they just need to know about it and understand it in order to feel comfortable giving. That's that cultivation piece I talked about, knowing, understanding, liking, and trusting. Yes. If you start with people who share your vision for social change, share your vision of the kind of world that your organization is committed to building, start with them. They have an affinity for your mission. Those are your people. And it doesn't actually matter as much. We've, research has borne this out time and time again. It doesn't actually matter how much money you think they have, whether they are wealthy or not wealthy. It turns out that people in the bottom quintile Uh, in terms of the money, in terms of income, actually Mm -hmm. give a higher percentage of their income. Yes. Philanthropically, right? So, So the correlation between wealth and giving isn't as binary as we think it is. What matters, what really matters to make fundraising flow is finding those people who are passionate about what you are passionate about. And then starting only with them, build the relationship, build the trust, help them understand what you're doing, and then invite them to invest. Love it. Thank you for unpacking that.
0: That's so <laughs> helpful. Yeah,
1: it's but so ta- important.
0: It's- it, it is. I mean, that is the essence of philanthropy. That's the yeah. essence of generosity, of giving. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So talk to us about the importance of alignment between an organization's strategic vision mm. and its fundraising.
1: You are asking such good questions. This is so good. So everything starts with a strategic vision. And a lot of times what particularly small organizations will do is they'll have a strategic plan and then they'll have some fundraising plans. And those two things don't talk to one another. They're sort of these different processes. The relationship between the strategic vision and your fundraising is that your fundraising should just be about raising the money you need to operationalize your vision. And so I always talk about three anchor documents that every organization should make sure are talking to one another. Your strategic vision, which is, what is the impact we're having? What is the work we're doing? What does our organization look like? How big is our staff? Are we national in scope? Are we local? Right? That's your strategic vision, which is different than your organizational vision, which is, you know, the world is full of happy people, right? That sort of big lofty vision <laughs> yes. that we yeah. all have. Your strategic vision is the kind of institution and that you're building, an impact that you're having. And that's part of your strategic plan. Your strategic plan is about how do we operationalize this vision? Anchor document number two is your budget. Your budget is just the numbers version of your strategic vision and your strategic priorities and your goals. It says to the world, here's the work we are committed to, and this is what it costs. It's almost like a book on one page or the words on one page are the pictures and they tell the same story. That's your strategic vision and your budget. Your fundraising is your finance plan. Once you are clear about the impact you wanna have in the institution you're building, then you say to stakeholders externally, this is what we are raising money for. Join us. So your fundraising plan is just about how do you get in front of the right people and bring the money in that you need for your vision. If you don't have a clear vision, your fundraising is going to falter. Yeah. And I've worked with a lot of organizations and I've been the chief development
0: officer mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or the director of development in organizations mm-hmm. where you know, you have to raise $5 million this mm-hmm. year or $2 mm-hmm. million dollars or whatever that number is. Yeah. And the organization's strategic vision
1: hasn't been updated. Like, yeah. so you're over uh, here kind of creating hand puppets. That's exactly yeah. right. Yeah. That's, that is what it feels like. This, it's that sense of throwing spaghetti against the wall. I think, you know, development staff, board members, a lot of times organization leaders get really frustrated because they can't seem to figure out, like why their board isn't quote-unquote fundraising. And usually they mean asking, which is a whole other conversation, you know, how broad fundraising is. But often when I work with them, what we start with is, are they clear about the cathedral you're you're building, Mm -hmm. right? There are a lot of sort of pieces being moved around down here, conversations and networks. What's the vision? What are they raising money to support? What's the impact that this investment is going to lead to? And yeah. that lack what will be different. Exactly. Because of the investment. And that lack of clarity is often at the root of fundraising challenges.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So that connection is vital. It's, it's, it's everything.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, so, Brooke, fundraisers everywhere, our listeners are preparing for the fourth quarter. Always. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we hit May and people start talking about December. Exactly. Where like our palms start sweating a little bit. That's right. Because there's so much at stake. Yeah. The most generous season of the year, and we have to get it right. And so I think it's fair to say there's a nervous tension in the air, especially because of inflation. Yep. The current economy, the uncertainty of what's ahead, you know, from an economy perspective. Yeah. And the Giving USA report that recently was released. Yeah. So, talk to us about how to attract and engage donors right now.:
1: Yeah, I love this question also. So it's July when we are having this conversation, and what I would say is most important, and and actually, it's most now is the right time, whether it's July or November. But <laughs> given that we have a few months, the thing you want to be doing to attract and engage donors now is cultivation. And I'm not saying for those organizations out there that ask during the summer that that's bad. But if we're talking about preparing for a really powerful and robust year-end giving season, making sure that by the time those asks go out in whatever form they go out at the end of the year, people have heard from you. They have heard if you have existing donors, they are clear about the impact of their previous gifts and how meaningful those are. They have seen the work that you're doing. They feel in community with you and your organization. That powerful strategy, number one, focus, focus, focus on relationship. I really, I tell a lot of the folks that I work with, somewhere's a great time to do just because phone calls. I'm a big fan. Um, I use a tool called Punk Post, which is a note writing sort of service. And When I was running my organization, I would use summer month, three, four calls or notes a week. These are not deep conversations. These are just because outreach. I would send a note that said, just wanted to let you know, I'm so happy you're in our community. Love Rook. Period. That's it. That would be the voice message. Those kinds of low hanging fruit ways of staying in touch are important right now. The second thing that I would say is it's an excellent time to do that top of funnel research about the spaces and places that your donors, right? The people with affinity, your people, where they are congregating. Find out what conferences are your donors likely to be at this fall, right? What is interesting to them? What podcasts do they listen to? What magazines do they read? What influencers do they follow? This is an excellent time to be doing that information gathering so that you can tee yourself up September, October, November to be in those spaces, right? Run a workshop, moderate a panel, do a guest blog post, speak on a podcast, be in those spaces so that they're hearing about your organization. You become part of the water that they're swimming in, in spaces that they're already comfortable in, that they already trust. Again, by the time you get to December, November, December, it isn't shocking for them to get a letter saying, "Hey, you've already heard about us. I met you at that conference or you know I spoke to you this summer and you said you were excited about blank. Let me tell you about blank. We're asking for an investment to support that so those are two things that I would say people can start doing right now that build a foundation for effective asks that are that are frictionless yes. um, in the yes. in the winter,
0: yeah, and they truly are like pouring into that relationship and Based on yeah. shared values, shared interests. And absolutely. Yeah. I love that, Brooke. I think that's amazing. Um, so, my last official question is <laughs> how can our listeners do their important work without experiencing overwhelm and burnout, especially with the yeah. staffing shortages that our sector yeah. is experiencing right now?
1: Yeah. That's a big one. I wish I had one answer. I'm a, I'm a Virgo. I'm a problem solver. So I really (laughs) like, I want to be able to say, do this and your overwhelm will go away. What what I will say is I think there are practices that we can put in place that reduce overwhelm and stave off burnout. The first, and I think this one's really, really important, is you need a crew. Nobody can do this alone. I talk a lot my own spaces about the importance of a mastermind group or a collective of peers. And I don't just mean, you know, other executive directors that you have drinks with on a Friday and commiserate. That, that could be important. Maybe that's also helpful. <laughs> but what I actually mean is, and this is something that was transformational in my own leadership, a cultivated peer group, five to seven people that share your journey with you so that you have people who are intimately familiar with the lows in your organization, the problems you're having, the things you think you've done wrong, and the highs in your organization, the ways you've succeeded. They are right there with you because they're doing it too. And so you don't have that sense of isolation that can really exacerbate overwhelm and burnout. They will challenge you, hold you accountable, help you set goals. Be For me, often, the only people that really understood the sort of nuanced, complicated life of an, of an executive director. So that's the first thing. Yeah, Having that community of support is really important. The second thing I would say is let go. I think, <laughs> I think we white knuckle a lot, you know, that everything feels urgent right now, immediately now. And if we don't solve all of the problems by December 31st of this year, then our organization is going to go up in flames. And I only say that jokingly because I have been in that space multiple times and because I sit in that space with the leaders that I work with. And sometimes getting permission from a coach, from a peer to let go of some of the things on your list and say, so we're not actually going to do all of the things this year. That's really important to be able to say. And and getting help figure out which of those things to let go can be really, really powerful. The last thing that I would say, and this is more of a technical sort of uh, tactic, I'm a big fan of time blocking. Mm. Yes, me too. Yeah, as a productivity tool. Do you use that in your own sort of world? Absolutely. Like,
0: I actually don't even schedule meetings on Mondays. Yeah. Because I need that time for yes. a
1: whole host of other things. Absolutely. I, I am the same way. Mondays are my I call them my CEO day. But yes. I I really encourage the leaders that I work with to, even if you can't take a whole day, a half a day, right? A really big chunk of time twice a week that is dedicated to deep thought, deep work, checking things off your list, whatever you need that time to do. And the pushback I always get is. I don't, I can't do that. There, you know, there are fires all around and, you know, people are going to explode. But actually in 100% of the cases where I have worked with a leader to, to even just set up one time block a week, nothing breaks, everything adjusts. It's fine. And actually that sense of overwhelm starts to be reduced when they know that there's some time in their week that is sacred for thinking and planning and breathing. So those are three strategies uh, that I would point to.
0: I love those. And I will tell you, uh so I definitely do many of them, but not all of them. So I'm going to be revisiting like there was some really great nuggets in there, Brooke. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. At the end of each episode, I like to ask a few rapid fire questions to give even more value to our listeners. Uh, Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. So the first question is, what's the best fundraising advice you've ever received?
1: Don't take it personally. Not about me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Oh, that's good. And that's not just fundraising. That's life advice. That's life. That's
1: adulting. (laughs) Absolutely. That that is adulting. Yeah. When we can separate out the personal, it makes us braver. It makes it easier to bounce back from the nose. So absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What book do you recommend to our listeners and why? I am a big fan of a book called Superfans by someone named Pat Flynn. He writes about how to build a community of raving fans. And essentially, when you're trying to grow and lead an organization, I talk about the growth equation. Know where you're starting from, know where you're going, and build community. And that build community piece is absolutely critical. We can't do it alone ourselves as leaders, and you can't have impact without a community. And this book is a virtual workbook. I mean, it's just the clearest, simplest articulation of a roadmap for building an authentic, connected group of affinity-based fans for your work.
0: Mm, I have not read that one. So amazon.com, here I come. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what are the three most important traits
1: of a successful fundraiser? So you mentioned scarcity a little while ago. I'm gonna say the first is an adherence to abundance. You have to believe that there is enough for all of us to have the impact we want to have in the world. I think second is resilience. You gotta be able to take the nose and get back up and go back out there. And the third that I have found really, really helpful in my fundraising is humor because sometimes you just gotta laugh.
0: (laughs) Yes, yes indeed. I love that. Uh, Brooke, what's your
1: favorite conference and why? So my friend, Jess Campbell, runs a conference every fall called Raise More Together. It's actually coming up in, in August. And it's one of the best fundraising conferences and actually nonprofit conferences I've ever been to. It is a combination of mindset and nuts and bolts. She talks literally every session is just fire about how do we raise more money for our organizations collectively and as fundraisers it's excellent
0: very good we'll include a link to that in the show notes so folks can Wonderful. check it out
1: yep coming up what, soon
0: what what's your favorite fundraising
1: application or tool so right now i'm loving chat gpt and i know everybody's sort of talking about it but it is a junior copywriter it gets you out of your own head about how to articulate your vision to the people that have affinity pretty much any fundraising research or writing task you could have it's a great starting place so i'm a big fan yeah me too
0: it took a minute to warm up to me it, too
1: oh yeah but now i i'm all in me too that's how i describe <laughs> it as well yeah i was one of the late adopters but then i came in hard <laughs>
0: all right last question brooke Knowing what you know now about fundraising, what advice would you give your younger self just starting in the profession?
1: Can I say two things? Yes. I would say give yourself grace that it's going to be hard sometimes, but you're doing okay. And related, there's no one right way to be good at fundraising. And I spent a lot of times in my younger self years trying to emulate people around me who seemed like they were excellent fundraisers and beating myself up because I couldn't quite make the ask the way they did or work a room the way they did. And I realized that that's not what fundraising is, working a room or making an ask. It's about building relationships that are authentic and inviting people into a powerful vision. And I found my own way. And when I found my own way, it started to work. Yeah. The floodgates open. Yes. When you find your own voice, your
0: own way, your authenticity. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Oh, so good. Brooke, thank you for joining us. This has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Tammy. Yeah, our pleasure. So if you want to learn more about Brooke, her incredible work, or to follow her on social media, we've included links to her handles in the show notes, as well as a link to her nonprofit Mastermind podcast and the other resources that we've talked about today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Intentional Fundraiser Podcast. Keep on transforming your fundraising so you can transform the world. The Intentional Fundraiser Podcast is a Fundraising Transformed original. It's hosted by me, Tammy Zonker, founder and president of Fundraising Transformed, where we help equip and empower fundraisers, nonprofit leaders, and board members to transform their fundraising so they can transform the world. Visit fundraisingtransform.com slash podcast to subscribe to this podcast and subscribe to my newsletter to get fundraising lessons, tools, and helpful resources delivered straight to your inbox each month. If you want my help with taking your fundraising to the next level, become a member of my Fundraising Transformers community as a growth member and join me live each month where I'll teach you the same strategies I use to lead, train, and coach thousands of nonprofits, social service organizations, healthcare foundations, private schools, colleges, and universities to collectively raise more than a half billion dollars including a single gift of 27.1 million. As a member, you can participate in my Ask Me Anything sessions every month and get answers to your burning questions. Chat with other growth members inside our private and safe online community about what you're working on, struggling with, and share lessons learned. And get instant access to my growing library of on-demand self-paced training classes. New content is added every single month. Learn more about becoming a member at fundraisingtransform.com/growth. Talk soon.